Tonight starts uh, one of two. It's our shortest series so far. Then again, we've only done two series, so um, it's not really that amazing. I don't call it a series. I call it a continuation because this week and next week go perfectly together. Uh, when this week finishes, it will be leading you into what happens next week, which is exciting. It's like not a different thing. It's like the same thing, only more of it. It's kind of like part two. It's only it's like time. You'll see. All right. <laughs> tonight, tonight, we're going to learn from the very beginning of the Bible. I don't mean Genesis, Genesis but way back when in the Bible, um, not too often do you get to hear a lot of messages from uh, the Old Testament, like some of these old stories. They're not used a lot because... Um, it seems like it's really easy to pull stories from like Jesus and stuff like that because they're so vivid and so sharp. Sometimes when you read these, um, it's presented as fact because it was, because it just happened. But then when you read it, you see something that's really, really interesting inside of that story. And you see, wow, that really actually applies to me a lot today. Even though when you just read it, well, that's just history. But when you read it, you see there's something more to that. There's a reason why it was put in there too. And it actually can convict you and it can change you. Uh, something that's kind of old. So what I want you guys to do is flip back to Numbers. That is the fourth book in the Bible. Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 4. And uh, I know Numbers. People are like, are we going to talk about cubits and and um, what do they call those? Hands and fathoms or whatever they used to measure. And no, we are not. If you want to turn to Numbers, and I want you to go to chapter 32. What? No, fourth book. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. Fourth book in Jazz hands. All right. Here's the background of this story. Here's the background of this story before we start, okay? For those of you guys who read it and for those of you guys who haven't, we're talking about kind of like the tribe of Israel. If you guys know there were... 12 tribes in the tribe of Israel altogether. And um, some of you guys probably know the story of where Pharaoh and they're all slaves and then Moses gets called by God after he runs out. He murders a guy, runs out a burning bush, which is God, tells him to go back, take his people out of captivity, lead them out into the desert and through to their promised land. God sets up an area for his people. He wants to free them from the slavery and take them to a place that's supposed to be beautiful. He calls it a land flowing of milk and honey supposed to be an absolutely beautiful place. Perfect. When you get there, it's like, like a heaven on earth is what he set up for these people. So Moses goes through and he does all this. Remember, um, if you guys have read the stories, through plagues and different stuff, that sweet scene where he's like, Pharaoh, let my people go. Which if I remember right, I don't know if he said that or if Aaron did. It's kind of interesting because um, if you watch like a cartoon, they act like Moses was a real tough guy, but he was actually a stuttering wimp. And he had his brother go with him because he was so scared. So uh, all that goes through, Israel moves out into the wilderness. We've talked about in the past, they have a lot of different things with sin as you go through this area. Idolatry, problems. We get to see the whole entire beautiful picture of Moses going up onto the mountaintop, getting the Ten Commandments from God, coming back down. And of course, he's gone for like five minutes and they're already worshiping a golden calf. We get to see these really interesting stories of Israel kind of coming through these problems as they move out um, into the wilderness. And one that they even mentioned in this is the one, um, it was one of our first 
messages this year was about uh, the whole entire people, the spies who were sent over to look at the new land, and they come back and they were so scared. They said, you know, we're not even going to go. So we go through all of this, and now we're coming to the point where really, I mean, these guys are getting close to going into the promised land. Um, you remember when that happened, uh, he said, everyone over, I think it was like 20 years old, none of you guys are going to get to see the promised land because you're all unfaithful. You're all going to die, and the next generation is going to be the one. This story right here that we're going to read takes place with the next generation. These are the guys who are going to actually enter into the promised land, not the old guys who have already died. These, this is the next generation who's going to move into the promised land, go into God's promise. So, Numbers 32. That's your background. Like I said, God had a plan for Israel from the very beginning um, of this promised land, his perfection for where they were supposed to go. So, let us read together, and um, I'll read it for you. You guys follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. If you have a different translation, just follow along. 32.1. The Reubenites and Gadites who had very large herds and flocks, saw the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and to the leaders of the community, and said, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Hezbon, Eleha, Seban, Nebo, and beyond, a lot of towns that are hard to pronounce, the land the Lord subdued before the people of Israel are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock, talking about themselves. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Across the Jordan was the promised land. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. After they went up to the valley of Eshkol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land the Lord had given them. The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of of these men, twenty years old or more, who came out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jeponim, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun. For they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert forty years until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you again leave, if you, if you turn away from following him, uh, he will again leave all his people in the desert, and you will be the cause of their destruction. Then they came up to him and said, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children, but we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them into their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan, because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to him, If you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you will go armed over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before him, then when the Lord is subdued before then when the land is subdued before the Lord, You may return and be free from your obligations to the Lord and to Israel, and this land will be your possession before the Lord. 
But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Build cities for your women and children, and pens for your flocks. But do, but do what you have promised. The Gadites and Reubenites said to Moses, We your servants will do as our Lord commands. Our children and wives, our flocks and herds, will remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants, every man armed for battle, will cross over the fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. Then Moses gave orders about them to Eleazar the priest and Joshua son of Nun and to the family heads of the Israel tribes. He said to them, If the Gadites and Reubenites, every man armed for battle, cross over the Jordan with, with you before the Lord, then when the land is subdued before you, give them the land of Gilead as their possession. But if they do not cross with you armed, they must accept their possession with you in Canaan. The Gadites and Reubenites answered, Your servants will do what the Lord has said. We will cross over before the Lord into Canaan armed. But the property we inherit will be on this side of the Jordan. Moses gave the Gadites and Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of uh, Sihon, Valley, Sihon king, and the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Basham, the whole land with its cities and territory around them. Long section, I understand. Whew, lots to read. The whole point of this story, what we're going to be talking about is this, and it's what I call stopping short. That's the entire basis for what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watch Seinfeld. There's a very funny episode that talks about stopping short um, in a completely different thing, but I thought I'd address it because it's kind of funny. Uh, Frank, uh, Frank Costanza, which is George Costanza's dad, he had this uh, trick up his sleeve when he was dating girls on how to get a feel. He's a bad man. And what he'd do is when he drove up to a stop sign he would stop short and put out his hand to catch her. And he'd end up getting a handful. He got in a lot of trouble. That is not the stopping short I'm talking about. So don't be confused, because that's not the thing. I don't know if any of you guys saw that, because when I thought of stopping short, I'm like, immediately come back, because I've watched a lot of Seinfeld in my life. Um, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something so much cooler, uh, so much more interesting to what your life is. Here's the deal. God had a plan for Israel. God had told them, I mean, way before, when they were still in captivity, God had said, this is the place that I want you to go. And he led them out of it, and he was taking them to this place. And literally, I mean, if you figure in the great span of 40 years of an entire generation dying inside of Israel, they were at the very last little bit. I mean, there was so much, so much... Um, done and so little left before they entered the promised land and these uh two and a half tribes end up saying you know what we're just fine right here this is good enough we don't want to cross um the jordan and take our inheritance there it seems crazy doesn't it i mean they come this far and right across that river is what god promised you when you were all the way back in egypt you know being beaten as a slave that was your goal but you're willing to stop right here. And that's what I'm talking about, stopping short. Now here's the deal. Um, these people, as you can see, they still respected God. We talk, they talked about the fact that they were going to go across the Jordan and they were going to help their brothers and their sisters in fighting and winning the land and taking this over for the Lord, which was their goal from the beginning. They, I mean, they didn't just get given this land. They had to go in and, and throw an evil people out of it to take it for the Lord. They said they'd still do this. But what I'm talking about is, is kind of just an internal stopping short. 
I'm not saying that they weren't believers. I'm not saying they didn't have a relationship with God. I'm not saying that, in our terms, they still weren't saved. I'm not saying that they didn't understand God, but they just stopped short of what God's perfect will for them was. When we read this, um, it's kind of almost a letdown when you read that first part, isn't it? There's so much building to this. But when we look at it, we see some things that are, that are common amongst the three that they kind of link together. And we see this so much in our church today, so much in our community today, of people who say they believe in God, but they just stop short from what they could do. And the first thing we see when you first start to read 32 is we see an overwhelming care for their circumstances around them. What I mean is this, is when they first start talking about this land, what do they say? It's a place to put our cattle. It's a place to put our women. You know, they had been wandering for 40 years. Um, we need a place that's, that's good for our crops. We need a place that's, that's safe for our women. And these concerns that were around them, that were in their head, became somehow bigger than what God's plan was for them. Right across the river. But somehow it seemed more important um, here. Livestock. Back then, your livestock was, was your life. You know, nowadays, in all reality, in, in what we live in, your life to the world is pretty much summed up by money. Everything takes money, your business, your ability to make money, to achieve enough to be able to survive. Livestock was the exact same thing back then. It was no different. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, your pet, your, your, your whatever, cattle you were rated by how much livestock you had. One man was rich because he had 100 livestock, and one man was poor because he only had 10. That's how they were rated. You didn't have money. It was all trading. So they were concerned about their money, really, is, is if you try to bring it to today. And they were concerned about um, their families, their women. And this is the exact same thing today, too. What happened is, is their eyes began to wander off of what that promise was. See, they weren't looking at God's promise anymore. They were focused on their circumstances. All they saw was, our wives and children don't have a good place to live. Our cattle are having a really hard time because we move from place to place to place, and we don't have a, have a good area to pen them in to take care of them. No doubt they probably lost cattle along the way. They were probably losing money throughout this while you're traveling Maybe it's not a good area for grass, so cattle are dying. And this kind of seemed like it was a good idea. But see, they had lost the focus of what their goal was, and that's why this seemed so very important. People do the exact same thing today. And uh, what I mean about this is that money and, say, comfort and, and things like that in their life become more important. Um, they start to worry about money instead of about God. Um, not what he wants them to do, but they worry about not having enough money, or they start worrying about relationships. It's not the fact that they're um, just waiting for that right person, but it becomes an, an obsessive thing in their head that that becomes the focus, not God, but the focus becomes, I have to find a mate. I have to find someone to share my life with. Um, it becomes the fact that they can't let the circumstances in their life just happen. They have to try to control them and manipulate them and form them instead of just letting them be in their life. People do the exact same thing. Um, 
it really reminds me of, of two men in the Bible. I didn't even put scripture verses with these ones because they're really, really common ones. And I'm just going to say them as stories because I was just reading the other day in the Bible. Um, they said somewhere in the scriptures, one of the people in the Bible are quoted. And they didn't say where it was at. He just told them somewhere in the scriptures. And he tells them about it because, like, I can tell you Bible verse, but you can probably look it up, too, if you look at keywords on it. So this reminded me of two stories with Jesus Christ. One, with your family. Jesus is there and he tells one man, he says, come and follow me, be my disciple. And what does the man say? He says, first let me go back and bury my father because he's dead. And God says, let the dead take care of their dead, follow me now. This man was more concerned about his family and about the stuff he had to do. And what Jesus basically said is, if you're not willing to follow me wholeheartedly right now, you, you know, you can't. Your focus is on the wrong thing. And the other one that reminded me of this was the money. There was a man who came to him and he said, he said uh, Teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You know, keep all the commandments and all this different stuff. And the guy says, I've done it my whole life. I've kept all the commandments. I've kept the Sabbath. I've done these things. And he says, well, then you know what? Go and sell all of your possessions. And it said that the man turned around and he hung his head because he had lots and lots of possessions. His focus wasn't on the right thing. When he turned around and he realized that he was going to have to sell everything, that concern was bigger than what God was, wasn't it? That was more in his mind. People start to, uh, start to just kind of get in the, the, the mode of the fact that they have to worry about things in order to take care, take care of them. They can't just let them be, but they have to worry about those circumstances constantly. And it does shift their focus. You might be in this place right now. You might be in a place um, where you think that your concerns are too big just to focus on what God has for you and let them go. They're too big, they're too pressing, they're too dangerous just to leave it alone. The next real thing that we see in, uh, in this, in this two-and-a-half tribes is that they really start to think that their plan is better than what God's is. And, um, I mean, these people, like I said, they've been in the desert for 40 years. And let's say just as a guess, that these guys were, say, like mid-teens, okay? They were below the 20-year-old mark where people all had to die if you were older than that. Let's say that they were in that range. That means that these guys were like 55. Probably for their entire life, they had been hearing about the promised land. Their entire lives, they were raised with the fact of, why are we out here? Well, we're going to the promised land. God has this, this, this plan for us. We come out of slavery, and now we're going to this great and beautiful place. Their whole life, they knew this plan. It wasn't something like some new teaching. I mean, they grew up with this. This is like growing up in the church and your whole life being told Bible study, you know, little Bible stories like kids know Jonah and the whale. I mean, these kids knew this for a fact in their life. Their whole lives they had heard about going to the promised land, going to the promised land. Um, it's a thing in, in uh, Jewish tradition, if you know anything about their celebrations. One of the biggest things they say is they say next year, because the whole thing is next year being in, being in the promised land. It becomes such a part of them. But what happens is, is they started focusing on their own plan. You see, when you look at this beginning part, if you read over it again, the very first part, what does it say? It says that they looked, they looked at the land and saw that it was good for herds. They looked at the land and they saw that it was good. And here's what I mean with this, is that uh, this is the exact same thing happens then, happens today is they trusted 
themselves more than they would trust God. Their whole lives they'd known that they're going to this promised land. But when they looked out, they said, I'm wise enough to know that that ground is perfect for cattle. I see it myself. And what happened is, is their eyes being able to lay on that land seemed more concrete than what God had told them 40 years ago. It seemed more sure. It seemed more sturdy than what they didn't know was across that, across that river. You know, I don't really know. The, across the river could have been way better land than what's here. But because of what they looked at, they saw it, they knew it for a fact in their minds in this world. And it seemed more solid than what God had promised them. Um, some people, let me, tell, let me tell you, are called to amazing and great things, but this is exactly what happens, is that they start to see their own plans in their life, and they seem more firm, more sure-footed than what God has for them. And soon enough, they start to trust their own plans more than they trust God, because it seems like it might just work out better. You know, I, I understand this. I'm smart. I know that, um, you know, if I go into ministry, I probably won't even have enough money to be able to eat. I know the fact that I'm pretty good at this, and if I did this, I could probably make some, you know, some good money, and I'd be secure, you know. People start to trust their own, their own um, intuitions on that. And, I mean, this doesn't have to be in a broad spectrum. I know some of you guys are thinking, because I said from the beginning, these are people who are, you know, Christians, people who believe in God. You think, well, if you trust your own plan over God's, that shows that you're, you're not a believer. But, I mean, this can be in just one aspect of your life. This doesn't have to be all of it. I mean, all of us can be struggling with this. What about the fact when God tells you that, um, you know what, you're not supposed to go to college right now? Yeah, but my plans, I know that, I mean, I should get out of high school and I should go to college. You see, it, it seems more firm, doesn't it? Well, people have been telling me my whole life I'm supposed to go to college. How can I say no to that? Or, you know, how about God's plans to say, um, you're supposed to take a year off and you're supposed to go do missions work or you're supposed to go do something like this. That seems really frightening, and you'd rather trust your own plan, even in just that instant. How about something really small, like um, you want a new pair of clothes, and God tells you, you know what, you don't need to be spending that money. There's better places for that money to go. But you trust your own knowledge and say, you know what, I really do need clothes. And you kind of just push aside what God's plan was, even in a small thing, and say, no, I just take what my knowledge is. You see, it can happen in really anyone, and even a very small uh, portion like that. But it's trusting your plans and thinking your plans are better than God's. This here reminded me of a pretty good story. It's probably one of my favorite things, and I use it constantly when I pray. And this is where I think that they weren't paying attention. It says in the Bible that God's folly is better than our greatest wisdom. And I love that line. Because I'll think and think and think about how to run my life, and I'll think and think and think about how to do something. And then I sit down and I pray and I say, God, I just ask for, you know, your folly, just your silliness, because I know it's so much better than anything I can put together. It's so much more pure. It's so much more right. They had lost, obviously, sight of this. They had lost the fact that God's plan was going to be better. I don't know what the promised land looked like, but I bet you any money it would have been great for livestock as well. I doubt the fact that God was going to take them into this place and, oh, sorry, your huge amounts of livestock... They don't really fit here. If God made this promised land, I'm sure it was going to fit. But see, they got a hold of what their view was. Right now in your own life, you may be thinking that you can pick out a better, a more firm, a more rock solid, a smarter way 
to run your life than what God has for you right now. God might be telling you stuff. Maybe right now God's not telling you a lot, but you think that right now I can probably pick out something more firm, more steady, more right. The other thing that we see here is just an inability to wait on God. Those first two, but this one especially. These people had been out in the desert for how long? Forty years. And what it was coming to is the fact of just not being able to hold out for God any longer. Just losing that ability to count on the fact that what God said is going to happen when it happens as he said it was going to happen. And being okay with that. They've been out in the desert for years and years. What seemed like an eternity. I mean, these kids here watched every person above them die in that desert. I mean, anyone who was under... I mean, over 20 years old at that time, all it was was, you know, our age or a little younger, watched every single person older than you die in that desert. And they're waiting, waiting and waiting for that day when they got into that promised land. It's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? You see where it's kind of getting maybe hard? You're, I mean, I guess they knew the prophecy to say the fact that everyone's going to die, but it seemed like an eternity, wouldn't it? Can you imagine that last old geezer sitting around and they're just waiting for him to die? Isn't that sad? Who's the last guy? Oh, that's Chuck there. I don't know how much longer he's got. Maybe we should hurry this along and get into the promised land, right? You know, you know, wondering, wondering how long is it going to take? Um, these guys talk about the fact. I mean, like I said, they were so close to getting across that Jordan River, but they said, here's where we should build. We should put up a place that's safe for our wives. We should put up pens for our livestock. Probably every single day their wives were nagging them. When are we going to get to the uh, to the promised land, Chuck? Ah, Probably nagging them every single day. So before long, they just got sick and tired of it. They said, well, this looks pretty much good enough, right? This is uh, happening today as well. What this is, is it's people who get a hold of what God's plan is for their life. But when it takes a long time, they begin to become impatient. They don't want to wait for it to be fulfilled. They don't want to wait for that perfect plan to come to operation. Um, the Israelites, when you look at this, they just figured they could start life now. Why wait till we get over into the promised land and then build pens and then build cities? This is good enough. We can build, sin, we can build a, you know, a city. We can build a pen here. When you guys come over there, we'll go over there. We'll kill people with you. We'll come back and we already have life started. They didn't want to wait anymore. They just wanted to take what they had and get a hold of it. Same thing happens today. Same thing happens today with people who are Christians. People who are waiting on a promise from God. Here's one that I like. People say, I'm waiting for that perfect person. I'm waiting for that perfect relationship. And I'm saving myself till I get into that relationship and I get married. So that when we come together as one union, we're both virgins. We're both, you know, perfect in God's sight. But what happens is, is they don't go out and they don't sleep before marriage. I'm not talking about that. But what they do is they marry the first person that comes along that's good enough looking for them and have sex. That's what they do. What it is is, see, they got, they got tired of waiting for what God had for them. Who knows what God had for them? But instead, they just, first person they bump into at Bible college, what the heck? You're a girl, I'm a guy. We'll get married. It'll probably work out. We both believe in Jesus, Right? You see, they, they give up because they want to start life now. They don't want to wait for what God's life is for them. They just want to grab at it right now. Or how about 
a person who is going to pray, uh, pray for something, pray about a goal, but something else comes up and they just go with it. You know, someone who, say, has been praying about a field of study or a direction in their life, time and time again, praying about, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to let me into this? You know, what, what are we going to do to be able to accomplish this? And then what happens is something kind of pretty just kind of walks by and they say, oh, I'll just do this. And they kind of walk away from it, just forget about it. Because they become impatient on waiting on God. It's easy to do. It's easy to do because it's hard to sit back and just wait, isn't it? It's hard to just watch and think, it's got to come sooner or later. That's what happens right here. These guys just say, we'll just grab it and be done with it. It happens the same way today. Is it happening to you? Right now, are you at a place where you're waiting for something, where you're counting on something, where you're holding out for something, but you're about at the place just saying, I'll just take what I got. I'm ready just to, just to stop short right here. I'm happy with this. I can just grab at this and I can start my life right now. I don't have to wait any longer. You see, all three of these circumstances that we just talked about are commonplace among believers. And when, you, when we talk about them like this, you guys are thinking, oh, you know, that's horrible, that's horrible. Walk down to, to, uh, to church any Sunday morning, wherever you guys go to church, and you'll see person after person that this is their life. And I don't mean one bit to tear them down. I don't mean one bit. But as you walk through that place and you look at people, if you could see what God had for them and where they are now, person after person you'd walk by and see one of these three reasons in their life that they're not exactly where they were supposed to be. Because they couldn't hold out any longer. Because they got caught up in their circumstances. Or maybe just the fact that um, they just thought that their plan was going to be better. They could just grab a hold of what their plan was because it was more solid. I said, you walk through there and you will see person after person who isn't in the exact place God wanted them. God will still use them. God will still bless them. And they can still, I mean, I'm not saying one bit. They're still going to be saved. They're still going to be going to heaven, people like that but they didn't quite accomplish what they were set out for. It's kind of sad, isn't it? To think maybe God has a plan for your life, but you could alter it and you could go somewhere else. I really believe, I heard a while back, and um, you tell me how you'd feel about this. I heard a guy say once that he believed that every single person who's put on this earth is put here for one real big purpose. He said that we all have tons of different things we're going to do through our lives. Tons of different things Jesus is going to have us do. People who we're going to reach. People who we're going to influence. But he said, I believe the fact that our God is so amazingly creative that every single person who's born on this earth has one major goal in their life. One big task that God put on their shoulders that only them, only them can accomplish. Something that God gave specifically for them. A promise that only they can fulfill. And he said, everything up to that point is just training. And he said, when you fulfill that is when you really make God smile. I grabbed a hold of that and I thought, you know what? That sounds exactly like my God. That sounds exactly like my God who has such perfect planning, who has such beautiful timing that each and every one of us have this goal that we don't even know. We don't know in our life. But someday we're going to reach that goal and we're going to accomplish it. Maybe when we get to heaven, God says, this was it. It was this person, it was this situation, it was this time when you stood your ground. That was the reason why you had to be on earth. That was the reason for all the pain and all the hard times 
was for that. And I can't imagine a more beautiful thing than accomplishing that and accomplishing it right. Not half-heartedly and not stopping short. So believe it or not, I'm going to stop this message short. It's going to end right here. And this is why. What I want you guys to do is I want you guys to actually think about stopping short. Like I said, next week is a continuation. And here's the reason why. Is that this week, I want you to have your heart open to whether or not these three things are in my life. Whether or not I'm stopping short in areas of my life. If I come towards what God has for me, but then I'd rather just stop and not quite go for it. I want this whole next week to be something of self-examination. That when you come in next week, that it's going to be something special when we talk about stopping short again. Maybe it's going to be time to change next week. Think about it. Are you stopping short right now? Are you considering stopping short? Are you at that point where you think that maybe I should just quit right here? Would you be satisfied if you stopped short, even after hearing just that little bit of talk I just said? Maybe even after next week. And do you think that God would be satisfied with you stopping short? I got a song for you guys, actually, is how we're, how we're going to end. I have a song for you guys, and um, I want you to listen to it. And I want you to learn it tonight, because here's the, here's the reason why. It's a song by Hillsong, and it's called The Stand. And I want you to listen to the lyrics, and I want you to try to almost learn them tonight. We're going to play it through once tonight. I love you guys to stand when we play it, kind of as if is in worship. But here's the reason why I want you to learn it. Is that next week at the end of the service, next week at the end of Steadfast, next week at the end of this podcast, if you guys are listening to it, we're going to play this song again. And if you change, those words are going to be your prayer to God. Next week when the song plays again, when you know it, when you repeat these words, it's a song of, of self-dedication. When you sing those words, it's going to mean something. It's going to be your prayer to God. So I want you guys to understand it this week. I want you guys to really experience it. But really, this next week, think about if you are stopping short. If you are stopping short on God.
guys, you are dismissed tonight. I hope uh, hope it meant something to you tonight. And um, think about it this next week. Think about stopping short and um, come back next week. Maybe that can be your prayer next week uh, as we talk about it again. So um, just one last second before you leave. I'll pray with you guys, and uh, you are dismissed. Lord, I thank you for tonight, Jesus Christ. And as always, I thank you for just your conviction. Holy Spirit, for your amazing ability to show us um, how good we're doing and how bad we're doing at the exact same time. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, for that, Lord, that we never shy away from being told the fact that we might be able to do better. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for what you're going to do. I pray to you, Jesus, that you would not let this be tonight and next Thursday. I pray to you, Holy Spirit, that you would follow each and every one of us around tomorrow, the next day, the next day, this whole entire next week, until next Thursday when we come in. I pray to you that the time we get to spend together would not only be another time of fellowship and another time of, of learning, but Jesus Christ, that at the end of that night, it would be a night of change. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that next Thursday night would be an absolutely groundbreaking change in every single person in this room. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that it would be a turning point in lives and it would be something that would affect the rest of eternity. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ, tonight. Amen.